Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. There it is. Yes, it is good to see you guys. It's good to be here this morning. Praise the Lord for baptisms, right? That is always an exciting testimony. Hey, I, if, you're, if you're new around here, my name is James. Um, one of the missions pastors here at uh, Midtown Baptist Temple. Pastor Sam this morning is out at Living Faithly Summit. He's preaching out there. So while you're praying for me and for this service, you also want to be praying for Pastor Sam and for the service out there in Living Faithly Summit. Um, and then as was mentioned a minute ago, the, the, uh, the Certainty Conference will start this afternoon. We want to be lifting up Pastor Kenny. He'll be preaching. Pastor Sam, Pastor Brandon, Pastor Chris are all going. Uh, so we have a number of our men traveling as well. So we just want to make sure that we're lifting them up as they travel today. And then they come back at different times. Uh, but be lifting all of those things up. Those are all exciting things. So if you're here, let's say if you traveled like five hours to get here today so that you could hear Pastor Sam preach, uh, you're going to have to do it again. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm glad you guys are here. Anyway, all right. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12 this morning. You can go ahead and be turning there. We're going to be looking at the first four verses of Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to jump us right in at verse 2, because that's where uh, we're going to spend most of our time. We'll, we'll read verse 2, and, and uh, we'll come back here in a little bit and put it into the context. But let's start in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And our topic this morning is going to be vision. We're going to be talking about setting a vision that is big enough to accomplish all that God has planned for you. And this verse uh, starts us off with the idea that we should be looking. It starts us off in a very practical, a very tangible, a very just hands-on instruction. Look to Jesus, right, is where it starts. And, and, and it's talking about casting your gaze, the things that you look at. And it, and it just jumps us right in uh, with this very simple, very practical look to Jesus um, instruction. And, and the, the, the goals and objectives that form the practical components, maybe the bigger components of, of this idea of vision, are all driven by what we look at. Where we're casting our gaze is going to be a very important part of where we end up going. Right? And we just think about that practically in our lives, when, you are, when your eyes are on the wrong target, you're going to end up on the wrong target. No matter how good your intentions are, no matter what kind of ideas you had, no matter what kind of plans you had, no matter how good uh, you maybe even have set out the steps, when, when you're uh, walking into the mall and you're just, you know, you're getting into the mall and you're just ready to go to your favorite store, you're trying to get to Lululemon, and, uh, but you got a goal, you got an objective, you know what you're doing, or Forever 21, wherever you shop, uh, and you're on your phone, pull up, that, pull up um, this next slide, and you just walk in, but you're, you're not looking where you're going, you're on your phone, and next thing you know, you've fallen in a fountain. <laughs> right? Great intentions, great plan, needed those new leggings, but here I am, a little bit distracted, I'm just not looking where I'm going, and this happens to us all the time, Right? I mean, Aaron's probably done that exact same thing. 
But we all do it at some form or another. We're, we're, we're walking and we're distracted. Maybe you've run into a door, right? You're just, uh, you bump into another person. You're, you're, you're driving your car and you turn around to start yelling at your kids in the back seat and you, you run into the car ahead of you, right? Because when we take our eyes off of what we should be doing, that's where we end up going. We end up going where we're looking. All right, you can get rid of that poor lady. She, uh... Poor lady, got all wet. Um, but here's our, here's our key theme for, t- for this morning. A vision that does not extend beyond your life is insuff- insufficient to accomplish what God has planned for you. Okay? When you consider your life, when you look at what you are doing and where God has taken you, and you consider all that God has planned for you, if the, if the way that you look at your life and your vision, if it does not extend far beyond your own life, then your personal vision is insufficient. You will never accomplish what God has has fully intended for you if your vision extends only as far as your own life. Let's pray and ask God to help us out and we'll jump in to unpacking that. Heavenly Father, Lord, we we want to see you. Uh, We want to cast our eyes right uh, upon you right now. We ask that you would come and you would move in this place. God, that you would help us, that you would guide us, that you would teach us. Lord, we pray the same thing for for Living Faithly Summit, for Pastor Sam as he's preaching there. We pray that they would, uh, too, would would hear a word from you. God, set our hearts on you. Let us now, in these moments, uh, not be distracted by anything else around us, but tuned in to the words that you want to speak. God, set me aside so that you can do your work. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the primary example that we get is, is, of course, Jesus. And that's what verse 2 starts us with. It says that we're looking unto Jesus, and then it tells us how Jesus viewed uh, his own life and his own vision, right? How, how he understood his own ministry. It said, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. The cross wasn't the joy, right? The cross was a bad day. Jesus, as a man, was not excited about the cross. He was not looking forward to the cross. He, he was not uh, joyous about it. He didn't wake up, jump up, and get, get a breakfast and do some stretches. Like, all right, I'm ready for today. Let's go. I got my new leggings on. Cross day. He, it wasn't like that, right? But it says this. That he, 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 saw, he knew it was coming. For the entirety of Jesus' life, he knew that the cross was, was coming, right? He knew that was a part of his life. And you even get to the day before. You get the same type of, uh, of picture in the garden the night before as he is with his disciples. And he, he separates himself to pray unto his father. And he says, listen, uh, Dad, there's, I'm not excited about this cross thing. This is, this is a loose translation right now. Jesus said, I'm, this isn't going to be very much fun. I really don't want to do it. In fact, if there's another way, could, maybe we could take that route. But this is what he did. He looked past that cross to see the joy that was set on the other side of that. Even though he knew that that cross was the end of his life. But nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. I will put my life fully into your hands to accomplish the work that you want to accomplish, Father. And I'll endure this. I will go to that cross so that I can see beyond it. And that's what he's talking about here. And this is where we must 
must begin to set our vision and our, for our lives too. We must be able to see beyond the end of our life, whatever, however you envision that to be, and to see that everything that God has planned to you actually extends beyond that. There's so much more. What was Jesus looking unto? Well, Jesus was looking unto Revelation 11, 15. It says, And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever. You see, Jesus was sitting on this side of the cross saying, It's not going to be a lot of fun, but on the other side of the cross is that day. And this is what... This is what God is, is looking towards. This is what your Bible is pushing towards. This is what all of it is, is focusing down towards. As we move farther and farther down history, we get closer and closer to that moment where all the kingdoms of this world become the one singular kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he was looking to that. And he said, all right. That's actually the vision. It goes well beyond my life. That's where we need to be looking. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, who, speaking of Jesus, being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, that's the cross, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He was able to see beyond that cross and to see even to where he would be seated in glory with the Father in majesty on high. It was prophesied in Daniel 2 and Amos 9 and in many places throughout the Bible we see everything is pointing to that. And it's summed up very simply in Luke chapter 24 and verse 26. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to have entered into his glory? And this is the way that Jesus himself was looking at his life, and this is what we want to talk about today and, and what I want to put before you as well, that your life uh, is insufficient to accomplish all that God has for you. And the vision, when you consider what is my mission, how do I get involved in, in the mission that God has for me? Well, the mission that God has for you goes far beyond you. So three ways that we do that. Number one, die. Die. How do I get a vision that extends far beyond me? How do I engage in the mission that, that, that goes far beyond me? Well, just die. And get what that's saying. I'm going to put that in two contexts, and, and neither one of them are, are for you to die you know, physically. I don't want you to die physically. What I want you to do is this. I want you to understand that the new birth of salvation does not play, take place without there first being a death. So for all of us, if our life is to have purpose, if our life is to have meaning, if our life is to ever accomplish anything that God has intended for us, it begins with a death that brings us into his family. That's what Romans chapter 6 lays out for us. Romans chapter 6 tells us that, that, when, that when Jesus Christ died and was buried, that, uh, that I too died with him and was buried and, and was resurrected in that. That was just pictured right here in these baptismal waters. Those waters did nothing but show you that that man has already died and buried and has been resurrected with Christ. And this is, this is the work of God because God says that if you're sitting here right now today in, in 2020 and you realize that your life is without hope, without purpose, without vision, you need Christ to save you. And today... You put your faith in Jesus Christ, 2020. He says, yeah, but you were also already buried with me in my death that happened 2,000 years ago. Now, that's something that God who is outside of time can do and that maybe I can't even fully get in my time-bound brain, but that's what he does. And so I 
I believe that by faith. Romans chapter 6 and verse 8 tells us this. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. And so it begins with salvation. And I think a lot of people in this room get that. And a lot of people are saved. A lot of people have made that, that choice in their life to say that, that, that I need to receive what God has given. And that one thing that he has given is his son, Jesus Christ, to pay the penalty for my sins. A lot of you believe that and have, have made the profession of faith and, and realize that in that moment, you died to become alive. Right? I would bet that not everybody here has. And for you, that is the most important part of this entire message today. Do you know him? Are you actually alive? Now, for the rest of us, die also means this. It means walking in the spirit. It means walking in the spirit, which does not happen without a daily death to flesh. So not only did we die at salvation, but those of us who are believers, and, and this is you know, foundational, this is basic, but listen, we die daily. If my life is to be worth anything, if I'm going to see a vision accomplished that extends beyond my life, then I have to realize that I can't do it in the power of my flesh. That if I wake up this morning and get out of bed in the power of my flesh, then I'm already off course. That I have to die as soon as I wake up, meaning I have to make a decision to let the Spirit of God live inside of me and me get out of the way. The flesh will never be able to accomplish what God wants to do through you in his power. Galatians talks about this a lot, particularly in chapter 2 and verse 20. He says, I am crucified with Christ. That's, that's your salvation. I'm dead now. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. This is that daily death, you know, and it's beautiful the way that God created man and that at the end of every day we fall asleep and sleep is a, is a picture of death. It's a type of death for us where, you know, we're, we're, we have no idea what's going on in this world. Our body is, is kind of shut down, right? And, and then we begin every day by uh, resurrecting, by waking up, by coming out of death. Physically, God designed us to do that to show us that spiritually that's how we should approach our lives. Is that every day when I wake up, if I get out of my bed and I haven't first got my mind in, his, in, in the presence of the Lord, myself in the presence of the Lord, my mind right, then I'm not alive and not ready to face the day. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. That's Galatians 5.24. Now, this is, what every, this is what every pastor wants. When, when a pastor stands up and looks out at the congregation, what we want to see are dead people. There's two ways to, to, to interpret that. And if you come, you know, sometimes at the early service, Sam will look out, or maybe in this service, because it was, you, know, you just had Kaya retreat, and you're real tired, and you're real sleepy, and, you, and uh, Sam's not here, and so you're like, I'm just going to snooze off a little. And we look out, and we go, you guys are dead this morning. What's wrong? And Sam's talking, or I'm, whoever's up here is talking about just, you know, you and your, your physical awakeness and your flesh. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is this. What a pastor wants to see is he wants to look out at a congregation and just see a room full of, of dead people, meaning they're dead to the flesh and fully alive in the spirit because dead people are the most alive in the presence of the Lord. You see, what, what Brian wants to see when he looks out as he's leading worship, he wants to see a bunch of dead people and he knows there's a bunch of dead people not because they're 
singing like that. You know how dead people engage with the Lord? They clap their hands. They raise their hands. They stop to pray. You can see how dead they are by how alive Christ is in them. Right? And so that's really what we're looking for when we get up here. This is what we love to see. Your fellowship pastor, as he gets up to preach, you know what he loves to see? A room full of dead people. This is one of those great paradoxes of Christian living. You know how dead people look? They look really, really lively. Well, how do I get what he has? You die. That's what we're looking for. And here's, here's the challenge of the world we live in right now because the spirit of this age, the spirit of this world, tells you that you should be fully alive. The world wants to give you everything. The world wants to offer you everything and in every form and fashion that it comes and, and, and the, you know, the, the line and the lie that we're being fed is that you should live your best life now and that you should enjoy everything that comes and you can be whoever you want to be, however you want to be. It doesn't matter how God made you to be. You can be anything and anyone and you can be completely different as long as you know, you're happy and you get everything that you need now. That's the spirit of this age and that is in, in direct opposition to what the Holy Spirit tells us because the Holy Spirit tells us that you should be fully dead. Absolutely, completely, fully dead. And that is the battle that continues to rage over and over. Uh, and you will see it, you know, played out in tweets and in news and in everything that is, that is flooding into us is this idea that you ought to be more alive. And the reality is you ought to be more dead. 1 Corinthians 2.12, Now we have received not the spirit of this world, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God. And we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. So a vision that does not include death will not ever, will never, ever produce life. Well, I'm going to live my life today. Well, it'll be wasted if, it's not, if it doesn't start with death. So how do I get a vision? How do I engage in a mission that goes far beyond me? Begin with dying. Number two. Uh, first, we die. And then how do I get a, a vision that goes far beyond me? A disciple. So not only do I need to recognize that in the power of my flesh and even in the number of breaths that I have, in the totality of my uh, personal and physical life, I will never be able to accomplish all that God wants to accomplish through me. I am physically limited and unable to do that. Uh, I must also realize that in the, the scope of my time and reach, I am also unable to, to reach everyone that God wants me to physically reach. The, 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 the harvest is ready, and the harvest is huge. What was the problem? There weren't enough laborers. So the best way to finish a work that is too large for me is to multiply laborers. Your vision for your life and a vision that is sufficient to accomplish everything that God wants to accomplish must include discipleship. Brandon can't reach every campus on his own. Brandon can't, can't reach all of Kaya on his own. So Brandon is discipling leaders. And now 
Brandon is able to look at the vision for his life and to say the vision of my life also runs, runs through Uriah. And Uriah is an extension of my vision and of my life. And, and he can say my vision also uh, runs through Miles. And Miles is, is my disciple and an extension of my vision and my life because my life is too limited to accomplish everything that God wants to accomplish. I have to disciple. i got to get more hands on, on, on the work. If you were here in the early days, Sam always used to talk about a tub of butter. You remember tub of butter? Tub of butter. We would say, like, uh, if we had biscuits right now and we had one tub of butter, a lot of people would be angry because there's not enough butter. Or we'd spread it real thin and you're still angry because you didn't get enough butter. And so there's one idea that says just spread it thin and give a little to everyone. But what should we actually do? Buy more butter. (laughs) Go buy another tub. Make it. Start churning. That's what we should be doing. Getting more butter. Get more hands in the work. Now let me ask you this. Because missions is a big part of my life. MBT has a plan for reaching the world. We have a vision. We have a mission. There's a lot of details that maybe you don't know. We need to fill you in on on those sometime. The Great Commission is big and it says to reach the entire world. Right? We believe that we have a responsibility um, to plan for that and attempt that. But what about you as an individual? Have you ever thought about your personal plan for fulfilling the Great Commission? If you say, well, my plan is to plug in with MBT, good place to start. Praise the Lord. We'll put you to work. But as you grow and as you mature, you should be thinking about that too. How are you yourself going to accomplish the Great Commission? Now, that will, fu- that will funnel through uh, MBT. If you're, if you're seated here and God has joined you to this body, it will be a part of that. But I can tell you, I'm, I myself am trying to think, how do I reach the entire world? And I know I can't do it by myself. So I'm going to disciple uh, a young man from Tokyo so that he can then go and plant a church in Tokyo. Right? And, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to partner up with a man who's 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 training and getting ready to go to Vietnam so that he can then go to Vietnam. He's going to help me disciple this man who wants to plant a church in Tokyo. And then we got, I got people going in lots of places. And I'm trying to say, how, how can I get involved in, in, in just everything? How can I get disciples all around the world? That's one of my goals. I want, I want to be discipling people that end up all over the world. In Numbers chapter 11 and verse 25, the work is too big uh, for Moses. There's, there's so much going on. And the Lord came down in a cloud and spake unto him and took of the spirit that was upon him and gave it unto the 70 elders. And it came to pass that when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied and did not cease. The work is too big for you. You need 70 elders. Well, you need some elders. point is you need some help. God knew that and he modeled that all throughout the Bible for us. Now, every ministry and every ministry leader ought to be thinking along these lines. Every ministry should be thinking about how do we as a ministry reproduce. Every ministry leader ought to be thinking, how do I train pastors? How do I train ministry leaders? How do I train men to be involved in, the, in this work? If we, uh, as MBT, are planting churches, then, then, then Eric and Uriah and Brian ought to be thinking, well, how do, how do, then how do we train and, and produce worship leaders? Because Boston doesn't have anyone to lead worship. 
If, if that's the way that God has gifted you, then you should be thinking, how do I reproduce that? Because the vision, the mission that God has called us to is far bigger than my life alone. Eric can't go lead worship in Boston and still be here. Praise the Lord, he stayed here. We're blessed by that. Brandon can't reach every college campus alone. And so what he has to do is he's got to start training men to get involved in that work with him and send them out. Brandon says, I'll go to KCAI, but you go to UMKC and you go to Penn Valley. But okay, now you're at Penn Valley, or you're at UMKC, and your vision, your personal vision is to say, look, this campus is too big for me, and what I'm trying to do is to, to grow a Bible study that's too big for this space. Or maybe there's people that say, hey, you meet on a Wednesday, but I have class then. I need a Tuesday morning Bible study. And so you're going, okay, uh, my vision includes them as well, so I've got to expand past that. I've got to find a way to reproduce that. So listen, a vision that does not include division will be insufficient. Put division in its right context. We're not talking about strife between us, but a vision that doesn't include division, uh, a goal that says, I want to outgrow where we are, and then I just want to break off a little piece and keep doing it, and then we'll just do it again and again and again. If your vision does not include division, then it's insufficient because it's limited to your life. If it's only just what I can accomplish, then you don't need to divide. You don't need the help. But you have to see past the cross. You have to see past your life unto the, the joy that is set before. When I was in Pakistan, uh, the work was big, and particularly the work in the hospital was big, and one of the things I always prayed for was that God would just send like a female version of me. I needed another nurse to help with the nurse stuff, but also because of the culture, I needed a female because... Uh, it's harder for me to, to make disciples and interact with the women there. So I needed a, you know, a woman who could get into the hospital and do those things. And that was just a, another prayer of me saying, my vision is for all of the people of Pakistan, male and female. I just need some help, God. All right. So we must die. We must divide. And then number three. Three things that we must do to get a, a vision that goes beyond our life. We must partner. I know that's driving some of you crazy. Like that doesn't begin with D. <laughs> and I purposely put all three of them on the screen so you'd have to look at it. So all the OCDs would be like, isn't there a word for partner that begins with D? To be honest, it bothers me a little bit too, but I decided I wasn't even going to work on it. I'm just going to leave it. We must partner. So we're dividing and, we're, and, and, and so that we can multiply and we're making disciples here and then we realize still that the world is still even bigger than what we can reach and what we can accomplish. And so there will be times when we have to partner. Living Faithly Summit is a, is a product of our multiplication. It's a product of our discipleship. So is Tampa, so is Boston. But then we have other you know, times where we'll find people who are like-minded like us and doing work in other parts and we'll say, we need to partner with that. We, we don't know how, we don't have the, the people, we don't have the abilities to plant a church in Malawi. Oh, praise God, he partnered us with someone who can. And, other, and there will be times where, where people will come into our world and we'll say, we just need to get with these people because the, the Great Commission is much bigger than we can do. And maybe I can't even send a lot to you, but I'll send a little. I can support you financially, I'll be praying for you, and once in a while we'll take some trips and we'll support, but we have to partner. Back in Numbers chapter 11, you had those uh, you know, the 70 elders that were given. But then, well, there were two more that started to prophesy, and they weren't there with the 70, right? That was Eldad and Medad. 
And there ran a young man, starting in verse 27, and he told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad, they do prophesy in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of Moses, one of his young men, answered and said, My Lord, Moses, forbid them. So here's two other men that are prophesying, and Joshua's natural response, because he's a man of war, he's like, let's go fight them. It's like, stop them. He always wanted to fight. And Moses said unto him, Envious thou for my sake? Would God that all the Lord's prophets, uh, that all the, all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. And he's saying this, look, there's people over there that are doing the work of the Lord. Oh, should we go shut it down? No, praise God, they're doing the work of the Lord. Partner alongside of them. Hey, there's someone over there that's doing the work of the Lord. They're not with us. Let's call down fire from heaven. No, praise the Lord. Let's partner if we can. But we have to because it's the work that God has called us to is much bigger than the work that we can do alone. All right? Now, let's put verse 2 into context just real quickly. We'll start back at verse 1. So we're jumping back into Hebrews chapter 12. And verse 1 says this, Wherefore... And Sam mentioned this just last week. We see the wherefore, the therefore. It ties us back into what has already come before. In the immediate context before, the, before chapter 12 would be chapter... Common core. It's 11, guys. It's 11. It's simple. It's 11. Wherefore, in, in the beginning of chapter 12 and verse 1 is a summary of chapter 11. Wherefore, seeing we're are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. That's what chapter 11 was about, a great cloud of witnesses. And it walks through the idea of faith and then men and women that were faithful, and it lays that out for you. And so that's the context, and there's just a good word that comes from that. Don't uh, forget where you have come from, and don't forget who you are tied to. Right? There are, are men and, and women in, in this local body right now that are alive and, and ministering with us and, and that you guys might not realize how blessed you are to, to be a part of that genealogy or a part of that line and a part of that work to stand next to and partner with some of these, these, these men that God has given us is an incredible blessing. But we also come from some great heritage. Some men and uh, some of us are tied to, to men like Billy Graham and, and S.M. Lockridge and even men that are like uh, that you may not be as famous, Art Wilson and Clifford Clark. These are men that have invested in some of the, the older men in this generation that are now passing some of those things down onto you. J. Frank Norris has a, a role in our history. And none of these men are perfect men. They're some, some with great failures, but you know what? It's good to be reminded that you're not in it alone. It's just good to, to look around and go, hey, I've got some great men laboring with me. So hold on to that. Be reminded of that. And then also I just gave you a free outline in case um, you need to preach later today and you weren't ready. So young, young preacher, you just jump into Hebrews chapter 1. And it says seeing, laying, and running. There you go. You got an outline. You see the witnesses around, and you lay the weights down, and you run the race, and you pull that out, and you tell them you rode it, and you just praise God for that. All right, take that home with you. All right, so as we, as we head towards the, you know, the next few minutes, I want to look at three character qualities of those who actually do live beyond themselves. So we saw three ways to do that. We do that by dying. We do that by uh, discipling, which leads us to dividing um, in the right way, and then we do that by partnering. But what are the character qualities of a man or a woman who has the right mission, the right vision for their life to be able to accomplish God's mission? 
Number one, we'll start again in verse two, it's looking into Jesus. So generally speaking, we'd say they manage their eyes. They control what they see. They control that gate. They, they guard what comes in. But also, uh, more specifically, I would say this, that looking unto Jesus is the fix to every problem. That is the beginning place for, for every single problem that you have in your life. Every single counseling session uh, needs to begin with this idea that you must look unto Jesus. And if you're not willing to do that, then the problem will remain. Now, I get that's not to discount the reality or the size of your problem, but that is to put the emphasis on the reality and the size of Jesus. I know you have problems. I have problems. I know you have hard times, struggles, difficulties, trials in life that are enormous. Jesus is bigger. Nor is that to discount or, or, or discredit the need for uh, maybe practical steps like changing your habits, learning new techniques to cope and to deal with situations, maybe even getting professional oversight or medical oversight in, in your specific situation that's going on. All of those things can be a necessary part of, uh, of getting uh, healing and, and getting a fix to any of your problems. But any of those things by themselves without looking unto Jesus won't get you there. You have to look unto Jesus as well. That's where it starts. You remember Peter? He saw Jesus walking on the water and there was a big storm going on and he's like, let me walk on the water too. And Jesus says, sure, bro, come on. And, uh, and so Peter jumps out of the boat and starts walking on the water and, and there was still a storm going on, right? But he was looking at Jesus and what happened? He walked on water, yeah? And it wasn't until he quit looking at Jesus and started to see the things around him that he started to sink. So I know, I mean, generally speaking, we're kind of in a stormy season. It's election season. It's COVID season. It's kids are at home for school season. It's sports are canceled season, right? It's uh, Chiefs game got postponed season. It's just all kinds of trials and tribulations, right? And struggles that come into our life. Whatever the struggle is, big or small in your life, don't take your eyes off Jesus. You remember Rack Shack and Benny? Yeah? You know. And the Chocolate Bunny? Also known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? And the Fiery Furnace? And their ability to, to, to look beyond what was right in front of them to see the joy that would come on the other side of that. They were told, hey, you can bow down and, and worship. And they said, nah, king, we ain't doing it. And they said to the king, hey, you know what? Our God is able to save us. He is mighty. He can deliver us out of your hand. He can deliver us out of the fire. He can do whatever he wants. He is capable. And then they said this. They said, but if not, what if not? Those are three of my favorite words in the Bible, this mindset that they took. They walked up to the king and they said, God is capable of delivering us right now from your hand. Not written in the text, but they probably explained it to their king. They're like, God will eat you with worms right now or strike you with lightning or, or make, your, make your insides start to rot. And they probably just laid out to the king, like God can do all kinds of stuff. And then they said, but if not, it doesn't even matter. We're still not going to bow down. 
That type of mindset that says, look, I know that God can get me out of this situation right now, but it looks even beyond the situation and says, but if not, but if God doesn't heal me, but if he doesn't bring me through, that doesn't change the way that I approach life. If not, we're still not going to bow down and worship your dumb idol. And then what happened? When they went in a fire... And they saw Jesus. That's amazing. This is exactly what we ought to be doing. Titus chapter 2 and verse 13 gives us a very clear instruction for what we as, as the church should be doing. What am I supposed to be looking for? Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Set your eyes on that. He's coming back. I know, we've been talking about it for years, but the return of the Lord is very, very near. And that is the thing that we ought to set our eyes on. Look unto Jesus and even look unto Jesus literally. You should be thinking, Jesus is coming back today. I'm looking for the blessed hope of his return. That means this, when I wake up every morning, I should wake up and I should say, Jesus is coming back today. I'm ready for that. That's good. But if not, I'm going to live my life the same way anyway, all the way till the end of the day. And then I'll go to sleep, and I'll wake up again tomorrow, and I'll wake up and I'll say, Jesus is coming back today. But if not, that doesn't change the way I'm going to live today. You get halfway through the day, and a couple Fridays ago, and you're like, no rapture. I guess thought Jesus would come by 10. I guess I'm going to live differently for the rest of the day. Um, we should be looking to Jesus. So that's the first character quality of a man or a woman who has a vision that is able to extend beyond themselves because, because yeah, Jesus is here, but Jesus is seated on the throne. I got to be looking at that. Number two, second character quality of a man or a woman who's, who has a, a vision that is sufficiently big enough to extend beyond their life, and it's enduring. Looking unto Jesus, he's the author and finisher of our faith. What he starts, he will finish. Who, for the joy that was set before him, he had to do something really hard. He had to endure. This, of course, is one of the character qualities of God and of his, of his you know, mercy endureth forever. And, and you get that a hundred times throughout the Bible. You see that he is an, an enduring, uh, an eternal God. But, but Jesus had to endure, and we have to endure because it's not a short-term game. Because we are in a, a, a marathon. Because we are running not just to the end of our life, but we're trying to look even beyond that. And we're going, man, this is big and this is long. And endurance has got to be a part of who you are. I don't know if you've ever looked into what it takes to become an Olympic athlete. Anybody? No? No aspiring Olympic athletes here? Um, or the workload that it takes to be even a college-level athlete, right? To put in the hours and hours of training, the hours and hours of practice, or, or, or a, a professional athlete, a Michael Jordan type. The, in, the one thing that will, that will characterize all of those great um, men will be endurance. They don't quit. Whatever their sport is, whatever their training is, they don't quit. 
And really, when you start to look in the Bible, God doesn't really brag on a lot of people. The ones that he really brags, I mean, you look at the chapter right before, the ones he really brags on are the ones who gave their life, literally died, endured till the end and died for his cause. Endurance has got to be a part of our lives. Because executing a proper vision will require endurance because, because the cross requires endurance. And the Christian life is to take up your cross. And it will absolutely require endurance. The failure of most men is a failure to finish. It's not a failure to start. A lot of men will start walking. A lot of women will start following the Lord. But the failure will be that they didn't endure. They didn't just keep on going. Maybe that's because, you know, they, st- they stop looking, probably because they stop looking in the right way and they get their eyes onto something else and once their eyes get on it, their mind gets tuned into it and once their mind is tuned into it, they start living it out. I used to ride a mountain bike and uh, when I was younger, if you guys follow my brother, on Instagram, you've seen that some of the high school student leaders are riding mountain bikes lately, and it's like like videos of them running into trees or falling over on their head. That's what happens mostly on a mountain bike. Maybe that's why none of them are here today. (laughs) I don't know. Um, That's not the point. What was I saying? I used to ride a mountain bike when I was younger, and I went to New Mexico with some friends, uh, actually with the man who discipled me. He was from there, and they took us to go mountain biking, and as we were getting onto the trail, uh, the, the guide said, this is one of the 10 most difficult trails in the country. And he's like, there'll be giant boulders. There'll be parts that are really narrow with like a 50-foot cliff on the edge of it. Uh, it'll be awesome. And I'm like, I'm from Kansas City. We do mountain biking like this. <laughs> uh, but then he said this. He said, don't look at the big rocks and don't look at the cliffs. Because when you look at them, that's where your bike will go. See the rock and then look at the path you actually want to take. And that's how you avoid hitting those rocks and falling off those cliffs. That's good advice for mountain biking and not dying, but that's good advice for their Christian life as well. All right? Many will start, but few will finish. Paul prayed that he would be able to finish his course, that he would be able to finish the race, that he would be able to endure uh, until the end. And that is... That is one of the key character qualities of a man or a woman of God who will live a life that is able to extend even beyond their own life is that they're willing to look at everything that comes and say, I can endure this for the joy that is set before. And the joy that is set before is that Jesus Christ will be glorified. Number three, the third character quality is is despising. And it says that Jesus Christ, he endured the cross, but he also despised the shame. And shame is an adjective that should never be associated with Jesus. He's holy, he's righteous, he's worthy of glory and praise and honor, and yet here he was on the earth being shamed by his creation. It shouldn't have worked out that way, but he endured that, and even he despised that. What does that word mean? It's strong. It means he hated it, right? And and I'll tell you this, a vision that is sufficient to accomplish what God has planned must hate all things that take away from God's glory. God is love. And by the way, he hates. Did you know that? That there are things in the Bible that God absolutely hates. And then if our vision is going to be big enough to accomplish what he wants us to do, then those must become things that we hate. 
that it can't even be mentioned in our life, it can't ever be a part of our life, that we can't ever look to it, that I hate those things so much that I want them completely out of my life. I think a lot of times we don't endure because we stop hating. We become okay with. We listen to the spirit of this world that says, no, it's okay. We can tolerate. We can coexist. No, we can't. We can hate. There are things that you should hate. Don't know how to study your Bible this week? That's a good place to start. Do a, do a study on hatred, the things that God hates, and then see how that applies in your life. And then you start to pull all those things out. You start that, you'll find pride really quickly. And probably all of us can work on that one. But then there's a number of other things. So Christ, he hated the shame because he wasn't worthy of that. He was worthy of honor. And there were things that he absolutely despises and that we must also absolutely despise, which, which means that we also must be pass, passionate about the things that God is passionate about. Loving and hating are both very passionate. We must love and hate the things that he does. But being passive about things that God is passionate about will lead you into wrong affections. If you allow yourself to become passive where God is passionate, then you will be led into wrong affections that will lead you down uh, a very dark path. Verse 3, we consider the contradiction. Considering him that endured all these things, there is no greater contradiction in in all of, of, of the history of mankind than that God who is holy and righteous would come to earth and be despised by his creation. That is the greatest contradiction that has ever existed. He is worthy of worship. So remember that when you think that you're worthy of a little more, that you deserve something better. The contradiction that Jesus faced is far greater than anything that you will face in your life. You're not actually that great. Sorry. We must consider what he endured for us. We need Brian to start heading up here. We're going we're gonna to wrap up. Mike, we're going to get ready to, to finish. Consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. Remembering the holy God's suffering for you should keep you enduring, should help you to endure. And lastly, verse 4 says this, And you have not resisted unto blood, striving against sin. I know there's a lot of lives here, and I don't know the details of these lives, but I'd be willing to bet that you have not resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Right? There have been a few times in my life and in different parts of the world where I thought, looks like I'm going to be striving unto blood. This might cost me my blood today. <clears throat> and it never has. And in the, the broad scope of, of, of historical Christianity and in global Christianity, our Christian experience is, is the minority, as Americans in this country. We are free to assemble. We are free to worship. We are free to evangelize. We're free to own Bibles. We're free to choose who we will follow. And for most of the world, that's not the reality. For many Christians, they must strive unto blood. And they face physical persecution and even death for their stand in Christ. We've had it easy. And yet we still can't endure. We're the exceptions, guys. Because Jesus said... 
it'll require a cross. We're the odd ones out. Are we willing to resist, even unto blood, striving against sin? As we sing, I want you to consider your own vision for your life. Does it extend beyond yourself? Do you hate what God hates? Are you enduring? Are you willing to look into Jesus in all things? If you need to uh, have somebody pray with you, then you can come forward as we sing. Go ahead and stand up. Brian's going to lead us in worship. You check your heart and you come forward. If you need somebody, leaders will be down here.